Welcome, caller. You're on the line with the calls are coming from inside the podcast, an exploration of the human side of horror. Each week, we call a unique guest and ask them about one horror movie that left its mark on them. Together, we do a deep dive into our guest's personal connection to find out what horror feels like. I'm Kevin Sparrow, and this week, we're moving ahead in our holiday horror vacation all the way across the world to Australia. We talk with this week's guest, Cal Walker, about the 2019 film Little Monsters, not to be confused with the Fred Savage Howie Mandel star from the 80s. Then, we stick with the theme of school teachers in peril in Australia with our double feature recommendation, 1985's Fortress. Sometimes you need to be able to go a place to realize, you know, that you really like where you are. Because I was getting a little complacent about living in Chicago. And I'm like, actually, no, I like it here. I'm good. I'm good now. Yeah. I mean, I love Chicago. I'm always going to love Chicago. Oh, you changed. Now. Oh, now a warning. Sorry, more title stuff. (laughs) Now a warning. (laughs) Yes. I would talk about Death Becomes Her with you. Oh my gosh. Death Becomes Her. I got to figure out the right time for that. That's a special... There's June. some very special June. occasions. June. June? Why June? Because it's, it's gay. It's a June movie? Because it's, it's gay. It is gay. I would love to talk about specifically horror as it exists with like a queer coded lens. Mm. Because like Death Becomes Her is such, has become a part of queer culture, kind of like whether you like it or not. And there's something interesting about like zombieism and being undead as a form of female empowerment so fun fact about me um at columbia college chicago and this is what got them on jeopardy there is a zombies and popular media class Mm -hmm. that's over winter break and i took that and that was sort of my first foray into like watching horror intelligently and watching it with the lens of like okay but what is this doing which i think got me watching specifically zombie movies but like being a little bit more open-minded to what the genre is capable of doing and so for that class I wrote an essay on like zombies as a means of female empowerment talking about death becomes her and the tv show i zombie which is just okay oh yeah I say I haven't seen it you're not missing anything well great well let's Let's talk a little bit about who you are. Who do I have here today? Well, today (laughs) on the calls are coming from inside the podcast. I have Cal Walker. Cal is a theater artist. Hello. Writer. Excellent human all around. And I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, Recently, you had a reading for a horror play so this is a really exciting time can you tell us a little bit about that what what is this yeah, horror play so, and where can we find it uh you can find my play that thing in the bathroom on new play exchange as as well as like my other non-horror plays this is the first play i have where i've killed more than one person which was fun but my ele- quick elevator pitch 
that thing in the bathroom is a workplace comedy horror about a flesh-eating blob in a coffee shop bathroom, and the people would have to deal with it for minimum wage. Wow. Sounds like capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) So you're tying right into those horror. The zombie themes, the horror as a social commentary theme. I'm a big fan of horror comedy specifically, which is why I wanted to talk to you about uh, Little Monsters specifically, because I think horror or comedy can be, I would personally argue that I think in many ways it is able to tap into things a little bit differently than just straight horror, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think, I don't know, I really appreciate like duality, right? Like it's important to me that you have sort of both sides, the both, both the comic and the tragic mask represented, right? Because I think with comedy horror, you're able to much more clearly like specify a point and and ease the audience into discomfort with humor, right? Like it sort of it sort of catches us off guard to ease in with something with a crass situation maybe that then leads into sort of inevitable and kind of ridiculous. So I think comedy horror is able to go places that like straight horror is unable to go simply because of the care you have to take with the audience. Right. And I appreciate, I appreciate movies that like sort of care about the audience. (laughs) Yeah. It's not about shock value. It's about, okay, but where are we going? Yeah. Why are we going there? So following up on that, is that partially, I guess, what drives your taste in horror movies? Because like you said, you're not necessarily deep into uh, just a scary movie or certain genres, maybe, but... I wouldn't, I would never lead a conversation saying, I love horror movies. I would never Mm -hmm. say that. Like, I don't list it. I was never, I never listed that in my Tinder bio when I was dating (laughs) or anything. Like, I, 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 I don't like fear for the sake of fear. One of the very first horror movies I watched was Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. My mom was a big film, is a big film person. And and I think, you know, it was about the artistry of it and the sort of significance of it rather than like, it's scary and we're going to scare the children. <laughs> like, I don't think that was the intention. Perhaps. Maybe not. But uh, <laughs> the concept of being afraid for the sake of being afraid was not something that made any sense to me and Mm -hmm. like is not ideal. Like I'm a very squishy person. I'm a very anxious person. Um, And so I don't, it's the same. I feel the same way about like roller coasters or haunted houses. Like what's the point of like being scared just to be scared. Like there's just not Mm -hmm. just, that's just not something I understand. And then in college, I took a class called zombies and popular media that explored the concept of the zombie in in historical context it's really fascinating right if you look at zombies you know before george romero uh what they represented is is kind of interesting right because zombieism within voodoo practice the fear is not there's a dead thing chasing me the fear is this person's body is being controlled without their consent and so the class really encouraged me to think deeply about like, what are the zombies doing? Mm -hmm. Like, what do they mean? Right. What are we accomplishing by putting characters in a, in, in these certain, certain circumstances in night of the living dead? What are the stakes and why are those stakes, you know, pushing 
these certain characters that represent, you know, members of society, why are these zombies pushing them to behave a certain way? Right? And and of course it's it's interesting that, you know, whether or not George Romero intended it, which you can talk about for years and come up with nothing, um, that the survivor in Night of the Living Dead is technically the black guy, but he gets killed by human people. Yeah. Like, he's the only one that the zombies don't get, but he still gets killed. And I think that's an interesting thing to unpack. Or it would be if Romero wasn't so, like, weird about it. Because he was like, oh, I didn't cast him because he's black, I cast him because he's talented. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't see color. Shut up. Yeah, I mean, there's more to it than that, I think. it It's one of those things that's hard to manage, right? Because it wasn't, I guess the best way to put it right is that it wasn't written for a black man, right? That wasn't the intention of the writing of the script, but the movie turns into that. And I think it also flips on its head, this idea of like that cultural practice, right? Of a lot of the history of that zombie film, even though the zombie comes from somewhat Haitian ritual, it's also a very like, it can be a very troubling thing just because it also represents those kinds of rituals or that history poorly <laughs> in film. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, it, of course it's it's the cultural appropriation thing. It's, you know, mm-hmm. white filmmakers seeing this very real thing and saying, oh, it's creepy, so let's make a, you know, exotic-looking guy be a witch doctor and it just doesn't, yeah. Yeah, okay. but it's good to get this little history of the zombie films in just because of where we're going today because i feel like so we've got that yes we've got that like 40s 30s zombiness i mean that being said like my point is i guess is like it's important to look at zombies from a metaphorical perspective rather than a literal perspective right like yeah in each zombie movie i always in every zombie movie i watch like what is that doing what is the feat what is the trait of the zombie like creating what is it mm-hmm. what is it actually doing does it represent something in, something in particular like um in um dawn of the dead is it something sort of more abstract like in death becomes her you know like there are you know is it is it just creating like ridiculous hypothetical stakes like in a lot of zombie films that are contemporary like most of them but sometimes there's some interesting ones out there does it exist to create sort of unimaginable stakes to drive out like basic human nature and conditions and whatever, like in daybreak. I mean, there's just lots of, there's lots of, there's lots of things. Yeah. But in this case, I think really in the case of little monsters, I look at the zombies as straight up, just like inevitable chaos. Yeah. The zombies don't do anything. They don't mean anything. But let's let's talk about this movie for the people, right? Um, uh-huh. Yeah, what is the movie that you chose? So we're looking at, at as we said when I called you in to do the call, yeah. we were looking at foreign horrors. We're on our horror holiday vacation, and we're traveling all the way to the little, uh, little big country of Australia. Yeah. Country continent, Australia, uh, to yeah. view little monsters. Mm-hmm. And uh, why this movie? What about it is your jam? Your jam fight, if I might say. 
my your my my Vegemite. Yeah, why it's my Vegemite? It is my Vegemite because <laughs> that too. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> this is my Marmite because I I think it's really it's just a fun. It's fun, right? Very rarely do I get to watch do I watch a zombie movie and like feel like it makes the characters substantially better, right? Because mm. ultimately you look and you're like, oh, and now they're traumatized and then the credits roll and that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Like there just isn't a lot going on. Yeah, zombie <laughs> movies definitely in that history we were going over have always been pretty bleak. There's a few spots where it's like, okay, maybe they can get out of it. But yeah, on the whole. I like zombie movies. I think my favorites have always been the ones where something emerges from the ash, something that's really, you know, beautifully and interesting, beautiful and interesting that they maybe wouldn't have learned about themselves were it not for the zombie outbreak or, you know, or even just that there can be a statement that something, something can be said about what has happened. Right. In mm-hmm. the case of, of, of Dawn of the dead, right. It's like that obvious of like, this is what capitalism is doing, which is, you know, on the nose for 2021, but like, you know, when the original came out, you know, you couldn't say that wasn't like incredibly interesting. Yeah. And in, a, 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 just a really, a really cool use of zombies to tell a story, not to mention the soundtrack <laughs> bops. But, uh, but no, I really, Little Monsters was, it was just, it's delightful. Like it's a fun movie and mm-hmm. like the stakes are real and, you know, like the Chekhov's guns are all there. And I think that it has something, like, as a former childcare worker, I think it has something really interesting to say about, like, the people that work with children. And some people shouldn't work with children and work with children anyway. And the people that should be working with children are often not valued for their, for their work and time and, and care, mm-hmm. but are incredible, incredible human beings and, and work harder than anyone will ever know yeah and it ends it ends making the characters better for it yeah most of the characters (laughs) like i felt like it was it was satisfying like i didn't yeah i didn't walk away having like my organs torn from me uh uh like poor josh gad in this film (laughs) teddy mcgiggles we barely knew you Oh my goodness. But I think this movie has fun with the circumstances and I don't think Mm -hmm. necessarily like classic zombie movies necessarily have fun with the circumstances. Yeah, not always. It makes fun. It it makes fun of how like sort of serendipitously sort of sort of ridiculous it is that there happens to be a US military base right next (laughs) to this Australian wild wildlife park. Like, yeah. That's absurd. And they don't nudge around it. They do not mm-hmm. nudge around the absurdity of the circumstances. And I really, I like things that know they're ridiculous. I like, I like, I really appreciate a self-aware uh, uh, piece of, piece of media. Yeah. It's, it's a ridiculous situation, but it's also played in a grounded way, a funny way, but the actors are doing a good job at yes matching the situation. Like there's an intensity, but it feels lived in. The film is irreverent, which is a Netflix mm-hmm. category. I get a lot. Oh, it's a Netflix. That's a very, it's a very interesting. Irreverent Netflix comedies. Category. Yeah. That's a, that's a Netflix category. I get often. But irreverent to whom, right? That feels too subjective for a category. 
But speaking of that, you know, circumstances, could you, if you had to break it down. Yeah, let's do in it. In five let's, sentences. Let's break it down for the people. What is this movie? What is the premise of, of Little Monsters? Little Monsters starts with a sort of burned out rocker leaving his relationship, his long-term relationship and sleeping on his sister's couch. And in getting to know his nephew starts to have feelings for his nephew's uh, kindergarten teacher, who's played by the lovely Lupita Nyong'a. He goes with them. He goes with the kindergarten class on a trip to a wildlife preserve park, nature park, um, petting zoo situation, farm, unclear. That happens to be I next to. I think they call it a petting zoo. They call it, yeah, sure. <laughs> that happens to be next to uh, the source of a U.S. military outbreak of a zombie virus. Mm-hmm. So effectively, we watch this man-child and a kindergarten teacher attempt to protect a kindergarten class from a zombie apocalypse. Exactly. It's a lot of fun, I think. Once so much fun! We get to the zombies, and we don't, it's not even a horror movie, it's not a zombie movie until like 20 minutes in. So. And that, that's what I, what I was so excited by, actually, is that a major flaw I think that happens in straight horror, and this is why I appreciate horror comedy specifically, because, you know, I think sometimes, you know, in order for comedy to be substantial, to make us feel things more than just make us laugh, you have to set up the characters. And it is a genuine pet peeve of mine. We don't even, we don't get time to sympathize with many characters in horror films, right? Which is fine because, you know, when I watch The Blob, for example, which I had to watch, which I watched when I was writing my play about a blob, you know, mm. I don't care about the characters. Like, I kind of root for the blob. Like, it's fine. But um, I really appreciate in Little Monsters the care we take and the care the film takes in letting us get to know this, like, clusterfuck of a human. Mm. Can I swear? Yeah. Great. This Please clusterfuck do. of a human. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and maybe your slash, maybe your horror podcast is for little children. I don't know. Um, uh, not today. Ah! Um, <laughs> so the 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 it takes it, it takes care in like establishing who this character is, who this kind of dirt bag, sort of Jack Black type. I don't know if I'd call him a Jack Black. Early, early, early aughts Jack Black, like tenacious D, D sure. era, washed up, wannabe kind of, you know, not Jack Black now. Yeah. Yeah. Like Jack Black at the start of School of Rock. Yes, exactly. Thing. Exactly. Thank you. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> Jack Black, like 20 minutes into tenacious D. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You get it. No. So I, um, I appreciated the care we took in establishing who this character was before we got to the the threat. Yeah. We get an opportunity to understand why the kids love Miss Caroline. 
Lupita Nyong'o's character. Well, it's, yeah, because it's Lupita and how could you not? love her well because well but also because she like genuinely is kind to the children and is you know and caring about them and you know is like and just and love love loves her job and like really you know and isn't just and isn't just performing it Mm -hmm. you know and then on the other end of it you have this sort of peewee herman type in the background i mean the payoff in this movie is just incredible all of the little details we get at the beginning of the movie that you don't think are going to pay off and then they do is so satisfying. At the beginning of the film, the protagonist goes with his nephew and tries to get, his dresses up his nephew as Darth Vader and he gets, he tries to get the nephew dressed up as Darth Vader to propose to his ex-girlfriend who he walks in on nailing her coworker. But like he, he teaches his nephew how to be very in character as Darth Vader and later, he the the kid kills a bunch of zombies dressed up as Darth Vader. So it's very yeah. The payoff is incredibly satisfying. And then you know similarly you've got the you've got that the kid is has has allergies and we learn how to use the EpiPen, but he does it wrong, and so it becomes this like sort of little B plot to try and get the EpiPen. But the Pee Wee Herman type played by uh, Josh Gad. A sort of this sort of like cracked out Pee Wee Herman. I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, yeah. This cracked out alcoholic, cracked out, whacked out, whacked out. Yeah, giggly, giggly. There's a Just lot of really, like a disturbing. Yeah, plays this Pee Wee Herman character, and we see him on the television, and then he says on TV he's coming to Australia, and so we see him at this at this petting zoo at this park. You know, we sort of see the direct foil. Um, it, it's almost it's it, it's an indirect foil. It's an abstract foil you know, as far as like things that children are exposed to. Ch- you know, that six year olds are exposed to. Right? You have television and you have like video games, but you also have like their teachers. And if you look at the contrast between Miss Caroline, Miss Caroline, and and Pee Wee Herman, right? I think that scene. This there's a scene where she threatens him by stabbing him with a conch shell, I think. Yeah, something like that. I was like, I'm not even sure what that is. I have no idea. You know, they're in a, they get, they hide from the zombies in a gift shop. Yeah. And a lot of the movie takes place in that gift shop. So it's one of those things where I'm like, it's, it looks super nice. It's a super nice looking movie, but it uses its budget well by like, Yes. Sticking into this gift shop, keeping things like contained. Yeah. And we also get, we also get some really interesting aesthetic choices. I appreciated, you know, the first couple of zombies were like really, you know, gucked out. That initial Mm -hmm. first military zombie looks uh, very like red skullish and has heavy prosthetics. But if you look at most of the extras, they've just got some like powder and a bit of fake blood on. Yeah. So I think, I think the distribution of resources is not excessive. And I think actually, makes it more interesting when, you know, specific things need to get focused on. When uh, Mr. McGiggles's hand puppet companion becomes a zombie and he starts biting the, he starts biting the protagonist with the hand puppet. I just lost it. Yeah, it's, the frog puppet is so funny. I mean, it's just, it's such a great detail. Um, but the scene where- I wrote in my we, notes, this frog is too horny, right? Yes! When it first comes up and it's- Talking about how attractive Miss Caroline is. It's like, this frog needs to dial it back. 
<laughs> I but I really appreciated the contrast, right? Because you have this it's a I think it's very real. Like the way that we talk about the way that children's media is is sort of warped and and disingenuous, I think is very real. Mm. I but I, I I go back to the scene where you have Lupita Nyong'o um threatening Josh Gad with this sharpened up conch shell and and she uh she basically says like you have to pretend like everything's fine because I have to protect my kids. Mm-hmm. So do the stupid giggle, do the dumb voice, like stop being gross, stop swearing in front of my kids. It is the difference between people who work in childcare who care more deeply for these children than I think many of us could possibly fathom. And then people mm-hmm. that are doing it, you know, because they're, they're of the mindset that it's easy. The, the, the bit of saying, you know, I studied with Al Pacino. <laughs> oh, that whole, that whole actor subplot yeah, yeah, yeah. is. I studied at the actor studio. Yeah, it's really fun if you're in theater stuff, I think, especially if you have gone through actor training, if you've done any of this, you're like, yeah, this is... Josh Gad is having, had a great time in this movie. Yeah. I'm sure, right? Because he, like, I feel like, I don't know, after having done Olaf for, like, all these movies and all this, all this Olaf content, wouldn't you get tired? Like, wouldn't you absolutely want to go, like, buck wild after playing a dumb a dumb fucking snowman for like four years. It definitely feels like counter-programming. It's a perfect casting. It's like, that's exactly what they're going for is to dismantle this image a little bit, right? His voice, if not his physical presence and like his voice is very particular and you're like, yes, I know that voice. It's Olaf. So to dismantle the kind of childhood thing is, is important. I think in that, that moment and it's interesting how he gives us this movie this this movie doesn't pretend like the audience is dumb no this this movie knows that it knows that its audience knows what's going on and is gonna yeah but it gets you know it's not cynical either like i think it's what i like about it the most like you said is that moment where lupita and yongo is trying to Get Josh Gad on her side because she doesn't want to. She's already protected the children physically. Like they're in a safe place at that moment, right? Yeah. As safe as they can be. Uh, Her main goal is also to protect them psychologically, which is why throughout the movie she's made it up as a game, right? She's told these kindergartners that, oh, we're just in this zombie game. You, it's like tag. You can't get touched by them. You have to go here. We have to do these things, and she is. I would say spoiler alert, but successful in the end at protecting them both from both physically and from the reality of that situation. She's a really, I mean, she is a really well written hero. I mean, obviously Mm -hmm. she's this like talented Oscar award winning actress, (laughs) but, um, you know, playing this character who's very aware of the situation that she's in even though she doesn't, she's, she's not always sure of what's happening. She's not sure of what to do. She's always very aware of what's happening. And she's Mm -hmm. always aware of like what her, what her priorities are. 
you know, and, and ultimately it's putting the children before herself. Yeah. And watching it pay off is really like, I don't often in a horror movie, like genuinely root for a character. <laughs> Very often in a zombie movie, I don't genuinely hold out hope for the protagonist. Mm. But this entire movie, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want these like sweet little babies to be protected. Even like the really annoying one that keeps asking about pup bug golf. Uh, yeah, but he's not bad either. He's just no, he's, he's not five. bad. He's just he's just a scared little kid. He's just a scared little five year old. Like you know that like children really are just children. Like they're you know that even the worst of them are really just like scared little growing human people. Mm-hmm. And you know you root for you genuinely like you root for Lupita and you root for the kids and you like really want to hope that it all turns out okay. And I don't I don't generally generally go into a a movie about zombies with that hope yeah it's oh he's gonna die isn't he oh she's gonna die isn't he oh everyone's gonna die i wonder who's gonna make it (laughs) that's usually my mindset whereas here i'm like oh my gosh oh my gosh if they don't all live i'm gonna be so sad yeah this is one that i think gets more hopeful as it goes along like early on, because you know it's a zombie outbreak, it's like, oh, is it going to turn into just a very bleak zombie film? But then, like, the further it goes along, I'm like, I think everyone's going to be okay. Yeah. Okay. And I, but, but tonally, tonally, I really appreciated the, the, way, the way that they treated the US military, right? Because when oh, sure. you, you say they're, they're, it's not cynical, I think in the way that it treats the military, it's extremely cynical. Oh, yeah, in that in that sense, yes. It is cynical of the nature of the military. And I think how kind of delightful that the U.S. military was having, like, a zombie experiment. Mm. Honestly, the way that it was like, oh, you know, we go to the nature park, and then right across the street, of course, there's this military base. And I loved the gag that the military base has to give directions to the nature park all the time. Yeah. As the kid of a government worker... I really appreciate any cynicism towards, like, you know, the the hoobie doobie scary government is scary. The U.S. government is scary and all knowing. No. Yeah. I don't know why Hillary's emails leaked. It's because the State Department servers are slow as shit. I would use <laughs> Gmail too. Totally. The only difference is she went. She ran for president. She was doing. Everybody else was doing it. The only difference was she ran for president. But I like that that cynicism with the military, with the kind of U.S. invasion, I would say, of Australia, right? It doesn't bleed over into uh, a cynical worldview, right? It doesn't infect how they treat the kids. It's not like the kids don't have to go through this growth moment of like, well... Life sucks, and it's better you learn that early. It's like, no, like, let them be kids for as long as possible. That's the most important thing, actually. My favorite thing about this movie is the the end, where, Mm. you know, just as we think it's over, the U.S. military says, ah, we need to give you, we need to quarantine you guys, because this isn't safe. But, like, it's how rare and how interesting that like it's a very optim it's very optimistic for a zombie movie like it's remarkably optimistic for what it yeah. is because usually zombie movies are like even though even if they're survivors even if it's funny you know even if we have a good time like in Shaun of the Dead like the zombie outbreak just continues on 
or you know uh you know like in the case of like fido right we're there already yeah we're there already the zombies the zombies are here they're not going anywhere that's just a never-changing stasis many of my favorite zombie movies are that's the reality is like right there's no like the end there's no like the zombies are done now i don't want that all the time i don't want optimism all the time but like every so often but for sure in this case this is what I want. In this case, where really the movie is about like the lengths that a kindergarten teacher will go to protect her children, it was really nice. An ending yeah. where the zombie outbreak is like done and contained and they took care of the zombies and turns out, you know, they like children's music. The although the the sort of the sort of the the the, the what was really interesting like before we get before we talk about the ending specifically you know as they're leading the kids they're leading the kids out of the camp in this golf cart in this tractor mm-hmm. no in a, in a tractor specifically they're leading these kids out of a tra- uh out of the park in a tractor tractor is very important tractor is very important and i just think it's great that like you know the nephew's obsessed with tractors at the beginning of the movie and then she he knows how to drive the tractor and saves everybody and he's so good. That little kid actor. He did, Felix, he did a great job. He's so good. He did great. No, he was he was really um believable, really authentic and, and delightful. But I mean there's just there's just so much to it. There's so many different little goodies in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, as he's driving through as they're they're driving out of the park and towards the the end the exit you know, the zombies start following them and Lupita Nyong'o's character calms them by singing, if you're happy and you know what, clap your hands to the zombies. Mm-hmm. I think that was, I'm not sure what the point was, point was of that, but it was delightful. And then as the, they're coming into view of the military, you know, they're saying, oh, sing to the zombies. Like that's how to take care of them. Sing to the zombies. And instead of listening to them, they just shoot them. Yeah. And that was like, oh, of course not. So again, like, a lot of cynicism towards the U.S. military and their ability to, like, do anything competently, which I'm not going to disagree with. Yeah. I really appreciated the faith this movie has in children and, mm-hmm. and like, and our inner child specifically, right? It's So it's interesting that the zombies, you know, can be controlled like children and the way that we are most successful with the zombies is by being a little childish. The, the Darth Vader costume and then like going through the destroying the zombie, like beating up the zombies with a, a a little putt putt golf club, like a lightsaber. I mean, it's yeah, it's being childish that saves this movie, that saves right. the people in it. Well, or is it Taylor Swift it that Taylor? saves the world? <laughs> and but that's such a sweet moment too, because you have this moment yeah. where this character, like this man child, is like really stunted, sad you know, burnout guy sort of confronts that he like is scared of taking care of kids because he was abandoned and whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this moment where he sings the lullaby that his sister sang to him, to his nephew. And it's really sweet. And like, there are just a lot of really tender moments of connecting with children in an authentic way that I think definitely wins you over on him by the end yeah i mean definitely definitely but the contrast of you know this like really disingenuous children's character children's performer 
and mm-hmm. you know having having like temporary effects but not actually making real change and then having like you know the, the stuff that really connects with children in this movie and i think this is true in real life and that's why i really appreciated it is the stuff where you're genuinely connecting with them yeah children's media is great but it will not save children it's entertaining but it doesn't do anything more often than not and like the connection we have with children is so much more important i think that's like this movie was this movie was definitely created by a person that likes kids and i i appreciated the yeah it's it's optimistic about children that it's optimistic about the children (laughs) well i'll i'll shout out our friends at (laughs) homies of horror which is another horror podcast and they did an episode on this and they did more research (laughs) a little bit more research than i did because i just kind of like went into it, watched the movie and picked up the conversation, but they looked more into the interviews and the director based this off of somewhat off of an experience he had as a chaperone taking his son to the petting zoo. Right. And he just inserted zombies into it. Right. Right. So, it, so yes, it is definitely someone who likes kids and who made a very particular point to make the movie that he did and i love that i love that you need that mix of protection and autonomy right like kids need some amount of autonomy you don't have to keep kids very controlled like they do need room to explore and grow and assert their identity in some ways yeah and both things can be there right assert their identity in safe ways and i think this movie shows that so like that part helped me to fit the puzzle piece in of why David uh, in this movie, because I will be honest, this is where I need to level with you or come clean about how difficult I found getting into this movie, like the mm. first 20 minutes. No, the beginning, just... was, the beginning was not, it's not appealing. You're like, okay. I was like, I'm not going to lie to you. At the beginning of the movie, I was like, get to the zombies. Where are they? Where is Lupita? Give me Lupita. Like, I was, I'm with you. It was not. And she's great. But I think what turns me off. It's hard introducing us, spending all that time introducing us to a character who's not sympathetic. Yeah. And I like that challenge. It paid off. But I don't always, I don't always like it when it tries to put me on their side oh i can't stand that. like this person's not sympathetic but you also want me to look at this as comedy and yeah and the humor for it just doesn't let it doesn't work for me so i feel like there's about 10 minutes of this movie that just like flat out don't work and i hate but it definitely won me over with the rest of it so i'm like okay this is actually like good and i get it to that point uh, what i'll argue is that i feel like it created a very I mean I think it took too long but it created a really I think necessary profile of the type of person this is right so we're not going in with certain expectations like you know I think it's very easy when you create kind of a burnout character and this is maybe just me being (laughs) someone that's attracted to boys in a certain way that occasionally (laughs) has had feelings for straight men that like you know oh he's you know He's a little rough around the edges. He's kind of a bad boy, but he's like never done anything gross or weird. Yeah. You know, he's like, you know, rough around the edges, but he's not too rough around the edges. And like that sort of blows it. Like those first 20 minutes blows that totally out of out of the water. Like no, this is a real person that is gross. Like there is nothing 
attractive about this human being. Like it takes care of that. I could have done without like, without one of the masturbating scenes, the brief, you know, I don't think we needed to see it. I didn't understand it. I'm like, who masturbates like that when he has the virtual gear on? I'm like, that's just not, I just don't see it. I just don't see the way that he masturbated as making sense for a cisgender male anyway. What? Like a cisgender man in that way. Don't. Don't a think sister they're man, like and also like it just didn't make sense in the context of the film. I don't yeah. know if I would miss it. Oh no, not at all. Because it's also it's exactly that thing. That's exactly what I dislike about the humor is that like this is pitifully funny, and it's like, well, masturbation isn't. It's not a sad thing to do. Like almost everyone does it, unless they like don't get any enjoyment out of it. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how to feel about it. Or if, or if how I would have changed it because that's the way that it was, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like, well, I would change this because that's the way that it was. Yeah, and it's not my movie, so I'm not going to change anything. I just, what I don't connect, I don't connect with, like, that, that type of, it feels very hegemonic to me, right? It feels very much like, oh, this is gross because everyone thinks it's gross, right? This guy masturbating by himself. It's like, well, I mean, that's what masturbation is, right? It's like, yeah, you can't masturbate in, with someone else. In, in context of the narrative, you know, it's not like, it's not like that scene from Bridgerton, right? Like. I don't know. I don't know what a Bridgerton is. Oh. I mean, I know what it is, but I haven't seen it. There's a masturbation scene in Bridgerton where it's like, okay, in context, it's really, you know, it's like beautiful and, you know, a woman in control, like learning about her sexuality, oh, sure. whatever. It's a very, it's a show. That sort of I appreciate Bridgerton because it conflicts the typical uh, Regency trope that everyone is like weirdly chased. Mm. Like women in most Jane Austen Jane Austen narratives just don't have a sexuality, but sexuality is very present in Bridgerton, which I sort of appreciate. We're looking for a a horny costume drama. I have many recommendations for horny costume dramas. Let me tell you, I'm not actually, but someone might be. (laughs) <laughs> what I lack in horror movies, I I make up for in horny costume dramas. Yeah, well, uh, then maybe true. maybe we should look at Crimson Peak as well. Oh, Although God, the horniness well, of that movie is also part of the horror, so that's, that's been on my list. Just to wrap up that thought of like, yeah, that humor doesn't totally work for me in the beginning, but stick it out the narrative the narrative that they were trying to imbue this character with was a felt a little heavy-handed yeah yes and it's hard because that the actor is very charismatic right so it's like cute cute but he's but the character is written so poorly that like there's a mismatch of like his charisma doesn't really make it and i think there would be a way to soften that character and still make us understand like and it's it's hard he's because not in a good place the development in many ways feels like a reach from where we find him at the beginning of the film mm-hmm. it feels like a reach when we get to the last scene where they're singing in the quarantine little tent thing which is such a sweet scene really yeah i thought it was I mean, it was just, it was just lovely. I was like, like, by that point, you're like, oh, that was a fun time. Yeah. Oh, we all had fun there. It was a fun time. I agree. We all had a good time then. Yeah. I think it's more natural for him there than earlier on. 
his demeanor and the last half of the film actually makes more sense, I think, for the type of person and actor he is. No, and I, rather I, than agree, the first with part. I agree with you. <laughs> you know, it's like this really beautiful, like soft moment and the, you know, the, the chemistry he has with Lupita is so beautiful and like really, it's, it's really tender. And like the movie is not about them getting together if they kiss. It's not, but it's, that's not about, it's not, that's not about, it's not about that. It's about the and kids. Like, yeah. It's with the kids. It's about like, both of these people share a connection for caring about these kids um, and connecting with the children and, and the importance of that, right. The importance of connecting with the children and connecting with the children through music. And I think that's really endearing, you know, and it's such a beautiful, adorable, like tender scene, even though the circumstances are sort of absurd that they're being quarantined by the U S military and, you know, but that version of this character is such a far, is such a stretch from where we see him in this like weird 20 minute kind of gross montage it doesn't feel i'm not really sure how we get there i mean like there are moments where i'm like okay but between him like being gross and wanting being gross and continuing to be gross and going on this trip specifically to you know get in lupita nyanga's pants somewhere in there like, there's a piece missing as far as, like, development. Yeah. I think maybe it was supposed to happen when he breaks the guitar beating up a zombie. Mm. First of all, it just is so odd to me that he's carrying the flying V everywhere. Yeah. You gotta let that, that back in the bus. That felt, it felt really tropey in comparison. Uh, I mean, huh? I didn't even really think about it, but... I mean, as a person that, you know, I occasionally play instruments and I just was very confused by the the choice to carry this flying V Mm. on a trip to a nature park. (laughs) I don't know. There was like a point, there was a point in the movie where, and I, and I get, I wasn't clear on where that point was that he switched from trying to impress Lapita Nyonga to like trying to be a good person. Yeah. Like I, I think that the the development of that character was just really kind of was clunky. Yeah, because it gives it does that thing where it explains his behavior and also excuses it. It's like, well, the explanation of his terrible childhood is an excuse. I mean, yes, in the real world that's how we need to look at it, but the movie I think does it a little bit that way where it's like, "Eh, we gave enough it does. It's, it says we basically decide. The movie basically decides for us that because he had a fucked up childhood and he's saying it, he's admitting it to the people that his life has been hard. He's like a good person now. <laughs> yeah, but then he he follows through. It's just that it's on such a shortened time span. I think is part of the problem with like there. There's a step missing that could fill it out. There isn't a huge amount of amount of time for development Mm -hmm. like that in a movie like this when there's just there's just too much going on unless you cut out the first three minutes of them arguing like that's the hardest part actually is the first minutes where it's just them arguing almost unintelligibly i'm like i don't need him arguing with his girlfriend like i'll get it (laughs) (laughs) i thought it was funny but uh in a sort of a but i thought it was funny in a way that the rest of the movie isn't Mm mm-hmm so you're right. Like it feels a little bit incongruous, and maybe that's worthwhile for some people. It's it's dry. It reminds me of 
you know, mm. the same, it reminds me, it's it sort of that the first five, you know, three minutes, however long, where they're just like arguing and unintelligibly the, the, the protagonist and his, his girlfriend, to me, it was almost like, you know, it spoke to the same thing that Chris Wiley sometimes tries to speak to, who's an Australian comedian. He did a, most famously, he did a series called Summer Heights High, mm-hmm. which was a satirical mockumentary about a high school in Australia. And, you know, underneath the humor, it's it's actually sort of sort of an opposite, opposite uh, effect, really, with Little Monsters. Like, Little Monsters is, you know, dark, but underneath has, like, a really soft, you know, squishy message about how wonderful children are and how much, mm-hmm. how important they are and how much how much value they have without you even necessarily realizing it. You know, that this, that this kid that gets picked on knows all about the tractor and that's kind of awesome. He knows how to operate a tractor more than an adult person could. Yeah. Like that's cool. Right. That he has the, the sort of blind bravery to run through a field of zombies dressed up like Darth Vader and stay totally in character. And like, yeah, he likes tractors and Darth Vader. And if you get to do what you like, you never have to work a day in your life. Ah, but uh, but Summer Heights High sort of does the opposite. It's uh, it's sort of it's very you know it's heavy handed humor that talks about darker issues about mm-hmm. disparities in the public education system, uh, about uh, ableism, about xenophobia in different ways. It hasn't aged well. Uh, he does dress up like a person from Tonga. Like he dresses in brown mm. face, so like we don't have time to unpack all that. But like, right? You know, if you totally if you ignore the Jonah Takalua storyline, it still speaks. Summer Heights High, you know, is sort of quietly dark, even though it doesn't it doesn't think that it's dark. It's still being very dark. And so, you know, those first couple of minutes of of Little Monsters is is very similar in in what it does right it's it's trying to be fluffy it's trying to be funny about something that's it's it's using using something very dark to be funny as opposed to using something very funny to be dark if that makes sense yeah no i think that's helpful too so like i can rewatch it in that mindset i mean which is also a good reason to talk about it because it was on my list to watch so it's not like you didn't change my my plans it was going to happen this week it just happened a little bit sooner. I was excited to uh, show you a movie that you hadn't seen before. Yeah, uh, that we that we both were watching for the first time mm-hmm. was was great because uh, I watched it like last week. Yeah, and to value it more, right? Of like, okay, I had a lot of problems early on that got washed away by the end. So I feel like if I talk to someone about it, maybe it'll make me reframe or rethink that at least the opening, so I can be like. I get why this is here. Maybe it's not executed the best, uh, or at least no, to my I taste. Would, I wouldn't disagree with you on on that. Actually, I think that at its core, Little Monsters attempts to address very real issues with the relationships we have with having children and childcare and mm-hmm. you know taking care of children and like and just the way we think about children. Like, we, I the think, way we think about children, yes, it's it's a very personal story, but I could compare it to just the the general child hatred I see out in the world. Like, oh, kids are gross. I don't want to be around kids. I don't want to know kids. I'm like, you were a kid. 
there's tons of kids out there. There's going to be kids for a long time. Like you can't, and old people, older people as well, right? Like there's just this kind of really long period for certain people from their like teenagerhood until they start to get up there in years where if you don't want kids of your own necessarily, or even if you do have kids of your own, that there's a very strong dislike of children, right? That children are somehow something to be. Yeah. I'm guilty of that. I think it's really easy to. But you learned over time. I think it's more complicated than that. I think it's really easy to, you know, to look at, to look at bad parenting and assume that all kids are bad because some parents are bad. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's, I mean, that's obviously not fair. Other bad things happen in people's lives. So it's important to think about how you can protect a kid when you're in another part of their life. This movie definitely asks you to consider how delightful kids are, even when they're not. So even when they're kind of inconvenient, even when they're kind of silly Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, needy or whatever it is, right? Like, even like the bully is still kind of delightful. And like, it's just a little, it's a little needs, he needs an outlet for his energy, but he's not altogether like a horrible person. He's a six year old. Yeah. And he's not that cruel. He's just, you know, he's a pretty light bully, I would say Mm -hmm. for a six year old. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think this this movie definitely definitely has more faith in children than than a lot of other films do. Yeah, and a lot of children, the children are actually not the punchlines, mm-hmm. and I really I, I appreciate that they're not the punchlines in this movie. Right, it's actually it's actually the adults. It's you know it's the people that think that they know what's best for the children, and then they're you know violent sex addicts and alcoholics. Yeah, the children are only punchlines when it's like funny how like the the difference between their childlike wonderment and like the reality of the zombie yeah. thing. But the children Definitely. are all very very uh earnest and we love to see that. It's it's well done. I appreciated the 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 gore that was gratuitous when it needed to be gratuitous. It was yeah. you know, like it's it's funny, but it's actually, not too much. It's like no, it's, it's graphic, but it's not disgusting. It's not disgusting. It, it it's careful about where it uses the gore, which mm-hmm. is not something I've encountered. I think if you have a big but big big budget movie, it's like let me let's put blood and guts and special effects makeup on everything that moves, and that's great. Whereas you know, I mean, how delightful, how kind of perfect that Josh Gad's character, you know right when he goes back on his word and deceives kind of screws the plan and says you know it's all he gives the protagonist the finger and it's like you know good luck he gets his intestines ripped out yeah and his face ripped off and it's just this dumb it's a dumb amount of special effects for like kind of a delightful moment yeah yeah and then you know the the eating of the the eating of the the livestock the petting zoo was kind of funny you know i mean the way that they the choices they make in, in, in what specific bits of gore they choose to use is, is I, I mean, I just appreciated that a lot. It's not gratuitous. It's not heavy handed. It's um careful. Yeah, definitely. There we go. It's a good time. I think, yeah, you may come out of it feeling differently than where you started. And if 
the movie can transport you in that way, then it's doing its job. So it's just a good song. I definitely appreciate you giving me that extra kick and also having the conversation with me so I can make it, you know, wrap my brain around the difficult parts and, and love even more the parts that I do love about it. It is altogether like a very sweet movie that doesn't try too hard to say what it says. And it has a good time getting us there. And like, how do you, how do you shit on Lupita Nyong'o? Yeah. You just, you can't. You can't. You're not allowed. You don't. It's impossible. You don't. You won't. No, she's, but she's great. So like, we don't even need to bother with the haters. Well, thank you so much, Cal. Where can we find you on the internet? If we're looking for more things of you. New Play Exchange under Cal Walker. Uh, C-A-L. I also cross-dress and perform from time to time as a drag king named Pete Za, and you can find him on Twitter and on Instagram at the underscore Pete underscore Za. So the Pete Za with underscores as as spaces. Yeah, I I exist. I'll I'll be back. This was a great time. I would love to talk about other zombie films with you. Yeah, thank you for existing in general. Thank you for existing with me. I think, yeah, I think we're going to do a regular, we'll check in about some upcoming zombie films. I, oh, yeah, I wanted to recommend one more for you. It's called Zombies of Mass Destruction. It's a wild ride. It's very low budget, but it's, it, it's good. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. That's amazing. I think it's free on Tubi. Or maybe it's free on a few. I think it's out okay. for free on some streaming sites right now. So don't pass it up. But it is more of a comedy. It's a little bit harsher than Little Monsters, I think. But it's not super bleak either. Like, it's it's interesting. It came out in, like, 2009. So it's very much responding to, like, okay. the Bush era that preceded it. I will say Little Monsters, and this is what I appreciate about it, is, like, it's very much horror light. It's not really about the zombies. Like, the zombies create mm-hmm. a circumstance, but, like, they're not really what creates the drama. Yeah. The zombies are are uh, an obstacle, they're or they're a, a metaphor. They're an impetus for change. Yeah. Development and growth. They could have been anything. Right. They could be and any struggle, though, that this group of kindergartners has to go through. So it's it's a good movie if you don't like horror, but you love Lupita Nyong'o and you want to see her play a, you know, blood-splattered <laughs> kindergarten teacher. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Just speaking of the music, the, the most believable part to me was when Lupita, Miss Caroline, reveals that she came to Australia because she was, like obsessive about Hanson and I'm like yes Hanson fans fans can can get that obsessive I buy it (laughs) I buy it yeah her backstory was much more interesting than the the sad man's (laughs) yes thanks for being with me and you know what keep it creepy out there is that a catchphrase I don't know (laughs) I've been saying it enough keep it creepy out there keep it creepy creep In Little Monsters, Lupita Nyong'o keeps her classroom of kindergartners safe by turning their troubles into a game. Unfortunately, harried school teacher Rachel Ward does not have this luxury in the 1985 survival horror film Fortress. 
An Australian film made in participation with HBO, Fortress sees Miss Sally Jones lead her classroom of nine to survive the night after they are kidnapped and held in a cave for ransom. The story is adapted from a novel by Gabrielle Lord and based on the real-life Faraday school kidnapping that occurred in Victoria in 1972. And one of the kidnappers, Edwin James Eastwood, escaped in 1976 and attempted another ransom by kidnapping a classroom in 1977. However, events in the movie differ significantly from the real story. I recently had the particular memory of seeing the movie on basic cable when I was 9 or 10, probably on USA or TNT or TBS, one of those many three-lettered networks. It was playing on a Saturday afternoon, and I remember being pulled in by one of the early shots of the movie as Miss Jones and two of her students, who she also lives with, Sid and Tommy, are walking along the railroad tracks to school with a train pulling up right behind them. It's a brief moment, but the impending danger sneaking up behind these characters drew me in, and that sense of doom pays off on the arrival of our kidnappers to the classroom. Our kidnappers wear plastic animal masks, which obscure and distort their features. There are three henchmen, a cat, a mouse, a duck, and the leader, Father Christmas. This evil Santa Claus definitely frightened me as a child, and I think these animal masks are still effectively creepy long before the arrival of your next animal-masked killers. I remember going to the bookstore at about the halfway point of the movie, after Miss Jones and her pupils go through the harrowing ordeal of swimming through an underground pool to escape the cave they have been trapped in by their abductors. I probably bought some Goosebumps books, or maybe the Daily School Kids, and returned to try to catch the rest of the movie, stumbling upon the classroom group being abducted again when they seek help at a nearby farmhouse. But I didn't quite make it to that last quarter of the movie, which turns into a very different scenario as teacher and kids escape once more and make a final brutal stand against their kidnappers. Something about the masks and the situation that these plucky characters find themselves in once and again stuck with me, and years later, after some digging, I found the movie again and finally got to see it in full, and that's why I wanted to share it with you. Although it does have a certain low-budget charm to match its initial release as a premium cable movie, it is still surprisingly dark and violent enough to make an impact. Fortress is a very hidden gem that I hope gets redistributed in an updated form of some kind, as it is certainly deserving to be seen by a wider audience than those of us who just happen to have a Saturday afternoon free. The movie is not currently available on streaming services in the U.S., though there are some DVD copies out there, and with a bit of internet sleuthing, I'm sure you can find a way to watch it. And as always, keep it creepy. Did you hang up? No, I just said click.